I imagine that when these ancient figures in the story that we've been reading uh, these last many weeks, that when they remembered and they reminisced about the events of their past, when they thought about these stories that we hear now as we hear them from the Bible, that there was a certain kind of feeling that came over them. Certainly there was grief and sadness about those who had died and the hardship that was endured in life. Certainly that was the case. They wouldn't be human if that were different. But I also imagine in some ways, they also felt pretty good. There was a bit of a warm feeling. I know that sounds a little bit strange to hear in light of all the things that we've heard to this point in Ruth, but reminiscing and nostalgia can have that effect. According to a Huffington Post article titled The Incredible Powers of Nostalgia, right, that's a great article title, Incredible Powers. Nostalgia helps us to make meaning out of our present experiences. It reduces stress, and it boosts our mood. So if you're feeling a little down today, get a little nostalgic. It's going to help you out. Nostalgia also raises our body temperature. Can you believe that? It raises your body temperature. Talk about warm memories. No, that wasn't the joke either. That wasn't even the joke. All right. I warned Haley there was a joke coming. Now you're all on warning. Now you all notice. There's another, there's another response that happens. People donate more generously to charity after feeling nostalgic. So go ahead and feel nostalgic right now. <laughs> Just kidding. Their demeanor amongst their friends and family members, it changes. Uh, there's, they become more supportive. They're less argumentative. They're more considerate. In fact, nostalgia is the reason leaves fall off trees in autumn. They're getting back to their roots. No? That wasn't in the article. I threw that one in there for extra. That was for extra. Let's see if you're actually listening. But nostalgia has a positive effect on us. Thinking back to the past, looking back at those things. And so as these ancients told their story, they probably felt good as they remembered how that day in the time of Judges, when everybody did as they saw fit, when there was no king in Israel, there was Boaz. There's a guy who's living a faithful life, who's acting justly, even though things are going crazy all around. It's a reminder of how God uses our faithfulness and the faithfulness of people in all ages to do great things. Or what about the story they told about the famine in that place, all places, uh, the house of bread, right? No bread in the house of bread. That sent this family to a foreign land. And as they're remembering this story and reminiscing, but it was there in the outside, in the outskirts, that this outsider, Ruth, demonstrates the profoundest kind of faithfulness, the profoundest kind of love. And she chose this to Naomi. And it brings Naomi back home. Not literally. Naomi was already doing that on her own. She was already headed back home. But it brings her back from the brink of emotional and personal ruin. Of course, they remember the story of the birth of a son, an heir, in verse 13 of our text this morning. The family tree is replanted. There's hope for the future. And the crowd of women here, they speak prophetically. And I love the role of this, this crowd of women throughout the book of Ruth. Remember before, they were cheering Naomi on. and she, they, they couldn't believe she was back. They were excited about her, even though she was naming herself Mara or Bitter. They came around her and were rallying and welcoming her back. And here they are, prophetically speaking. They're praising God. They say, blessed be the Lord. That must have warmed Naomi's heart must have touched her at a level that she was overjoyed 
by hearing that voice once more. But she probably felt even more warmer at that moment that the child was laid in her bosom and she becomes the nurse, the one who cares for this child. She's no longer empty. Naomi's no longer empty at that point. God's hand isn't turned against her like she said in chapter 1, verse 13. God has looked upon her with favor. And in their remembering, they're probably reminded what we have been hearing all along. That though they were once undone, God wasn't done. But the reminiscing here doesn't stop right there in their generation. I imagine that generations later, when a nation has crowned their new king, a king named David, that the stories once more were told. Stories about that time when there was no king, that God was preparing a kingly line, not from royal blood, but rather chosen amongst nobodies from nowhere. A lot of the characters in the Bible are nobodies from nowhere. It's another way of saying they're a lot like us. But because of God, they become somebody. This would be no ordinary king. This would be no ordinary kind of reign. We hear in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And of course, this with David is only the beginning. So I, I wonder if they were really aware of what they were part of on that first Palm Sunday back in the first century. With all the story in the backdrop, with all the time of the judges, and the story of Ruth, and these descendants, and David, I wonder if they truly recognized who was riding into town that day. That this man, who would be recognized by some as a prophet in the crowd, others would recognize him as a rabbi, a great teacher, and still others would probably see him as being both. That he fills out both those categories. And as far as his pedigree was concerned, nothing there that would make you think this was any kind of expert or academic. Jesus comes from the lot of carpenters. He's a nobody. He comes from a long line of nobodies. But he taught with authority, and he certainly commanded a following. And we see that on the first Palm Sunday. Matthew's Gospel makes the point that this Jesus is descended from David, with Ruth and Boaz both being named in that genealogy. So that, count, that counts for something, for sure. But Matthew also doubles down on this messianic talk here, and with his use of numbers as well. So he comes right out and says, he comes out swinging in Matthew 1, Jesus the Messiah. But then he uses this kind of fun numbers in here in case you miss the point. You'll notice there's 14 generations in there. If you read the genealogy, it says 14 generations from this to this, 14 generations from here to here, and 14 generations from there to there. Right? He has this three times 14 generations. Take the name David in Hebrew, three letters, Dalaf Vav Dalaf. It's the fourth letter, it's the sixth letter, and it's the fourth letter again. Add those up. You got 14. In case you missed that he was a descendant of David the first time, maybe you can count. And that's what Matthew's counting on at that point. So here's this group here, and they're seeing this person ride in who is coming to town, and they're celebrating, they're cheering, and they're hoping for something. And Jesus, because of his legacy and history, his lineage 
he's well qualified. They say to him in John chapter 12, 13, as it says the text, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. God working in and through the story of two widows in the book of Ruth, an insider and an outsider who becomes an insider, leading to that day when the nation, when the people gathered outside Jerusalem would hail their king and salvation from a family line that almost didn't happen. Right? It almost didn't happen. Or at least it might have seemed that it couldn't happen. But God was involved. God wasn't done. Of course, with any story, we like to make sense of the story. We want our stories to make sense and to have some kind of connection. We want there to be some sort of purpose and meaning in life. In fact, this last week I watched a video uh, that invited the viewer to consider the events unfolding in Ukraine as being preordained, that we could have figured them out, that we should have known that this was coming in 2022. Why? Because if you take the birth year of Putin and you add to the birth year of Biden and you add to the year that World War I started and you take the day that Russia invaded Ukraine and turned it into a three-digit number, and you add them all up and divide it by five, you get 2022. <laughs> like I said, we like to try to find meaning. <laughs> Could this be a coincidence is the last thing you see on that video. Is there an unseen hand at work that makes themselves known through math computations? If only we had done the math, we would have known. Well, you don't need a calculator to see God at work in Ruth and Naomi's story. You don't need to write some equation to see the hand of God throughout the story of David. You don't need an algorithm to see what God is up to at that first Palm Sunday. The crowd shouted out, and they tell us what God's up to. That this other Naomi Ruth descendant who rides into Jerusalem that day, they say, Hosanna, save us. You're the source of our salvation. Come and rescue us. They say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Drawing from a psalm, Psalm 118, a messianic psalm. That this one who's coming is the anointed one, the promised one. The one who will bring about this salvation. And they call him King of Israel. His birthright as a descendant of David. I bet Naomi could have never imagined that one of her sons would one day hear such acclamation from the nation. And even more, that a people today here on Palm Sunday, in this room, and gathered around this world, gather and worship to celebrate that one. The true Elimelech, the one who expresses God is king. After everything she had seen, all the remembering and reminiscing she would simply join the psalmist. How would she make meaning here? She could join the psalmist and say what comes across her lips and what should come across our lips as well. Psalm 118, 23. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Praise be to God for the gift of not leaving us where we think we stand, but at work in our lives today as well. May we see it with eyes of faith. May we hear it with ears that can respond with hearts of gratitude. May it be so.